Welcome to Elmo's Road Podcast. This is Elmo Odor Jr. Um, thank you so much, Brother Nazam. Uh, can you please introduce yourself? Hi, Elmo. Uh, thank you for having me on your podcast. It's my pleasure to meet you and to um, appear on your podcast. Um, my name is Nazam. Um, I have a YouTube channel by the name of Nazam44. And I really started it uh, back when YouTube first came because I was collecting lots of uh, relig religious discussions between Muslims and Christians, namely uh, the works of uh, Sheikh Hamid Didat, uh, may God bless him, and also Dr. Shabir Ali. And I had lots of these kind of VHS cassettes and stuff, and I wanted to spread and share share their message or, and their knowledge with others because I felt that in the same way I benefited from them, others can also benefit from them. And YouTube really gave me a platform of um, uploading these uh, lectures and debates and dialogues which they had with people of other faiths, namely Christians. Um, and it really provided me a way of uh, reaching out and, sh and sharing this with, with the world. I, I, and from there, people got to know me, and I have a Facebook page, and I'm also quite um, active on Twitter as well. And I've been going to Speaker's Corner. I don't know if anyone's heard of Speaker's Corner in the Philippines. Uh, but in the last three years or so, yep, it's become very popular, Speaker's Corner, especially since uh, people are now recording the discussions and debates and uploading them onto YouTube. So every week they get thousands upon thousands of hits. And so people see me in the background walking around. Um, normally I, 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 I do try to have discussions, but um, normally my discussions are not recorded on camera. And also I prefer the more kind of um, organic discussions that's rather than I feel um, more natural, whereas uh, on the camera, it tends to change the dynamics of things. Mm -hmm. Well, um, you seem to be someone who is um, more on a, like I would call someone who likes to debate or argumentative in a way, but in a good way. It seems that there are uh, those yeah. personalities. Well, I actually, <laughs> I used to actually uh, be into the whole debate discussion, but due to like my past experience, um, I found that normally they don't end like um, in on a positive or friendly way, and usually they can become quite spiteful and polemical. And my my, my original intention is try to. Um, you know, uh, bring people closer to Islam rather than drive them further away. And I don't find that sometimes debates always do that. Although I'm not against debates, um, I do feel that they also have their place. And no doubt, um, like Islam has a, a unique uh, voice uh, in the world, which is uh, different from what uh, other, other people are calling towards. Um, so, so there, there is a time and place for debates, but arguments, I admit, I'm not a very controversial or, um, someone who likes to argue, uh, with people. I prefer to find common grounds and build bridges. Okay, cool. And, um, it seems to me that, um, there are a lot of the, these kind of, uh, debates and arguments, discussions, especially on YouTube. And when you talk about Speaker's Corner, I'm reminded of people like in the Christian side, like uh, uh, Christian Prince or Sam Shamoon. People, for, for me, being a Christian, I don't, I don't like this, the, this kind of debate. I don't, the, uh, or the way they they do the their methods. Like for example, they argue with a Muslim, and then when there's a disagreement happening, they would call someone a mule or a mutza. And to me, that's very unchristianly, and I don't think that that someone should, who who is a Christian should should claim to be that way if they behave in that way. What do you precisely? Think? Yes, there's actually uh, passages in the even in the Bible that speaks against this type of behavior. So, for example, um, I think it's in one of the letters of Peter in first peter chapter three um it, it says to the effect that if someone um 
you know, belittles you or mocks you or makes fun out of you, then you should respond in a way in which, um, you know, uh, humbles that person, but through your, your good conduct and moral behavior. Uh, but I, I agree that some of these preachers, whether either on the Muslim side or on the Christian side, um, they, did, they don't necessarily represent their own teachings uh, um, fairly or, or, or accurately and are not good role models. Um, especially if you think of that the world is now becoming more and more secular, um, especially in the West, and uh, you have many atheists and agnostics or just pe- non-religious people, um, and they, they look at these types of debates and they, they just wonder, like, why are these people behaving in this type of fashion? Um, the purpose of religion is sup- supposed to make you a better human being, better in conduct. Uh, but when they see these types of things, it just kind of proves what they think that they knew all, all along, which is that religion um, is something, some kind of harmful force in the world, which they feel the need that they need to fight against. But uh, I guess even atheists has their own kind of bad fruits as well. And one of the things that turns people off religion, from my experience, is uh, hypocrisy or religious hypocrisy that people see, you know, people um, acting in a way which is contrary to their own religious teachings. And they just find this um, totally, um, you know, ugly and, and and just why should they follow that particular path if the people that claim to belong to it and represent it are not even following it themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, but it, it seems to me though that um, yeah, you're more your your specialty is more on uh, as you said comparative religion, and so um, what specific arguments do you have against, uh, let's say, Christianity? I wouldn't so, so much say that um, there are arguments against Christianity, but I found that um, by myself um, looking into comparative religion and, and studying the Islamic faith as well as the faith of Christians has helped me to understand my own faith better um, and, and appreciate it more. And I, I don't see Islam as coming to... Um, you know, take away belief um, in the God of Christians or in the faith of Jesus, because um, the, the Quran says that our God and your God, uh, when addressing uh, the Christian community, is one. Uh, and both communities believe in the unseen creator of the world. And the, the philosophical and rational arguments that we use all point to the same unseen creator of the universe. Uh, where we tend to differ is over the nature and divinity of God, um, as well as um, whether Jesus shares in that nature or divinity of God, mm-hmm. or whether he was a, a solely okay. a, a servant, a messenger. Okay, so it's more on specifically um, the incarnation of Christ as the Son of God. That's where you mm-hmm. you find problems in the mod in, in the Christian model of an understanding of who God is, specifically the Trinity as well. Yes. I mean, as you know, um, we have uh, biographies of many great leaders uh, in the world, and the primary sources are for the life of Jesus are are the New Testament Gospels. I mean, there are other Gospels besides these four, but but generally uh, these four are recognized as being um, the most authoritative and most accurate when it comes to studying the life of Jesus. And um, as the, the four, as many of our listeners will probably already know, is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, what is interesting is that scholars from over a thousand years uh, already noticed that there's a sharp, a sharp divide uh, among three of these gospels, uh, the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and, and the fourth gospel, the, the gospel according to John, is seen as a very radically different gospel from the first three. And uh, as you know, the gospels were not written by one person who sat down and wrote the whole thing all at once. But the four gospels are f- from four different writers. 
and they give us a kind of snapshot or window as to what Christians believed at the time when these four Gospels were written. And what is interesting to note is that in the earliest Gospels, especially the Gospel according to Mark, which is our shortest and earliest of the four Gospels to be written, um, it presents a very human Jesus, a Jesus that uh, uh, resembles closely um, the Islamic faith, um, like a, a Jesus that does uh, mighty works and miracles uh, uh, and is referred to as a prophet in Mark chapter 6 verse 4 uh, and also referred to as the son of Mary and these are titles that are uh, mentioned about Jesus in the Holy Quran as well um, but when we go to the gospel according to John, there we find many of those titles which Christians are uh, believing about Jesus are commonly found in the fourth gospel, such as Son of God, uh, the title Lord as well. And also the way and manner in which Jesus is presented in the fourth gospel sh shows him to be somewhat divine because Jesus appears to be omniscient meaning that he appears to know everything or he knows even beforehand what the person is thinking and what the person is going to ask. Whereas on the other hand, in the gospel according to Mark, Jesus um, is shown on a number of occasions to be limited in his knowledge and not know something. So he would ask a certain question and it's expecting or seeking an answer from it. So for example, um, in one of the healing stories in Mark's gospel, um, a woman who had hemorrhage, uh, she had heard about Jesus and she had heard that he has many like mighty powers. And so she comes up from behind him and touches him from his cloak. And it says in Mark that Jesus felt the power coming out of him, but he didn't know in which direction that it went. And so Jesus turned and looked to see who it was. Um, and still he didn't know. And so he asked his disciples, who touched me? And the disciples, you know, answer and say that you see the crowd all gathering around you, pushing you and shoving you. Uh, what do you mean who touched you? And so Jesus not being satisfied still kept on looking to see who it was until eventually um, the woman comes forward and says it was her. And Jesus says, woman, it is your faith that held you. So now by contrast, um, here you have a Jesus with a lot of healing power, but at the same time, um, Jesus uh, is not in full control of that power in that there had to be some higher power power in order to direct that power towards the woman for her to be healed. Um, but it, it, by contrast, in John's gospel, um, there's a number of episodes um, in which Jesus always seems to know beforehand and appears to be omniscient and all, all knowledgeable. But, you know, you can even compare, um, you know, Mark's gospel and John's gospel on one hand. And because these are the first and the last, you can see the, dif the differences are more striking. Uh, but even if you compare the gospels that were written in between, between Mark and John, which will be Matthew and Luke, you can notice some subtle differences as well. So this story about the woman being held, uh, it, it's reported in Matthew's gospel. It's remembered in Matthew but with some slight uh, uh, differences. Uh, and the differences are significant in that in Matthew's version of the same story, the same woman you know, comes from Jesus from behind and touches his cloak and gets healed. Uh, but the difference being is that Jesus doesn't turn around to see you know, who has done it, uh, nor does he ask his disciples who touch him. But in Matthew, Jesus just, he already knows who it was like he already know who touches him and so he simply turns and looks at the woman and says woman it is your faith that has held you so in matthew's gospel even though the story is very brief uh but, but nonetheless here you have a jesus um who appears to be omniscient and that he just simply turns and looks at the woman and already says a uh, woman it's your faith that held you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so in a way um you're yeah, you're uh, one of the reasons why you seem that um, the biblical accounts of Jesus's life have uh, some sort of subtle contradictions, and uh, in a way, it's not it's not really uh, something that you you can rely on. Is that what you're saying? 
Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's not something that we cannot rely on because I feel that if we were to discard, you know, the Gospels completely and even the New Testament, that would just be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. What, what, um, you know, I try to study is like to look at the four accounts and to look at the, you know, the acts and deeds of Jesus and to see if these sayings are multiply attested, for example, in more than one source, um, as well as, um, you know, you know, other uh, historical criteria that would establish you know, an authentic saying or deed. So I'm not saying that this story about the woman being held is not authentic or not true. Um, There probably was or possibly some kind of event in the life of Jesus in which uh, something like this happened in which the woman was held. But the way it's been passed down and the way it's been remembered um, is in a way in which you can see that the uh, portrait of Jesus um, is just being shaped and he's being uh, almost uh, mutated and becoming into, you know, the God that Christians would eventually believe in and the second person of the Holy Trinity. So I feel that the Islamic faith is really a call to believe in that Jesus that was there even before the gospel according to Mark was written, because even Mark must have had predecessors or people that remembered Jesus and and told stories about him even before his gospel was written. But since we don't have like an antecedent to Mark's gospel, we cannot make that same comparison like we can with Mark and the, the other gospels to see where Mark may have changed his story specifically in order to maybe make Jesus appear more divine or more godly than what he actually was. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that um, when you, for example, uh, present these arguments, is that uh, the the early Christians sort of, as as you said, they mutated their view on Jesus. And this uh, ultimately formed into him being, uh, having the doctrine of uh, his divinity and then uh, him being part of the Holy Trinity and uh, uh, continually involving into the Christianity we have today. Is that what you're saying? But originally, uh, Jesus was just a a prophet and but they turned him into this this uh, this son of God that uh, that people precisely. Okay. Uh, precisely. You f- that, that's the conclusion of the argument. But we can look at like example, specific examples, and we can see um, how you know Jesus mutates, um, you know, from one gospel to another, and his status is risen. So it's almost like Jesus is being photoshopped amongst the gospels. So you have the Gospel of Mark, in which he's photoshopped. But then Matthew and Luke photoshop him even more, and then John, you know, photoshops him the most. I see. Okay. Then in in terms of I guess the reliability of the text, yeah, you uh this is the challenge you present is that um in terms of how the witnesses portray Jesus, th- this sort of part of uh, uh being a secondary source is where the unreliability unreli- comes in because uh the the, the those witnesses that or the the sources might have actually um, portrayed Jesus differently, or as you say, uh, photoshopped him, right? Yes. Okay. And and uh, and there could be like many reasons for this, but also I should also add a caveat that when we speak of like trends, uh, we we do so like in the sense of like we look at the overall trend. So like when we say that the house prices are rising, um, you know when we look at the chart, it um it, it's not necessarily a straight line going upwards, but there might be zigzags in between. But overall, we see that the the line is being is going towards upwards, and similarly, like um, you can see, like when it comes to uh, the divinity of Jesus and the status of Jesus are uh, uh, becoming more and more great. Um, th- there may be like zigzags or some exceptional examples in between, but generally the the overall trend is to make Jesus appear bigger and greater than what he actually was or would ever accept. Um, so uh, you know, on the one hand, 
um, you have like uh, gospel writers uh, magnifying like the acts of Jesus, but or even like some of the sayings of Jesus as well, when they were repeated by word of mouth and also written down and then copied and then uh, passed down. Even the sayings themselves also uh, change. So for example, in Mark chapter 10, um, I believe it's verse um, 17, um, a, a young man comes up to G Jesus and calls him good teacher. And Jesus answers, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Um, so, so, so this appears that Jesus, um, you know, is rebuking the man uh, for calling him good. He would rather prefer if the man just addressed him as teacher because only God is, is good. Uh, and at face value, this is what the story seems to be teaching. Uh, but when you go to Matthew's gospel, the next gospel, because um, you know the gospels as they appear in the New Testament, they're not necessarily in the chronological order, but they're, they're in the order in which um, they're placed uh, by, by the church, but not necessarily in the chronological order. Uh, so chronologically, Mark is first, and then uh, say Matthew is, is after Mark and in, in Matthew uh, he re, uh, repeats the same story in Mark's gospel but in Matthew chapter 19 verse 17 and forward um, the same man comes up to Jesus on the same occasion um, and, and says teacher uh, what good thing must I do to have eternal life and Jesus answers why do you ask me about what is good so, so, and that's in the same reported sentence. So in Mark, Jesus answers, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. But in Matthew, in the same underlying sentence, Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? So Matthew appears has like radically, you know, changed the saying in order to um, deflect that Jesus was denying that he's good. Uh, but in, in changing the saying, he's also created another problem in that, um, you know, Jesus as the Messiah of God, he should welcome a question about salvation. Uh, you know, he, sh he shouldn't rebuke the man for asking him what is good, but he should, you know, the man asking what good thing must he do to be saved. But Jesus appears to answer him, why do you ask me about what is good? But he shouldn't really say that because he's the Messiah and so he should welcome questions about salvation or what good deed. So the way that Matthew has reworded and changed the story um, has just created uh, a, a, another problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I guess but, uh, though, yeah. the, I see a problem in, in, in your methodology in, in terms that um, in a way these, uh, for example, these narratives or and uh, in, in presented in Jesus's life, they might actually have a, a purpose or, or meaning in, in the grand scheme of how Christianity perceives it. For example, in, in that uh, same story you presented about a, a man uh, t uh, asking Jesus about, about how, how he, what, what good he must do to be saved, uh, it might be that... Um, uh, an apolog Christian apologist could explain that it was not yet Jesus's uh, time to uh, tell others about uh, what he has to do, you know. So, especially in, in how secretive he was on, for example, on his, on, on, his, on his crucifixion and all the events to be happened, especially with his apostles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Christian may may have a response, and and I'm sure that there are responses. Uh, but we have to also sometimes ask ourselves that just because someone has a response to everything, um, it, it does that response make sense? Um, so um, here Jesus already now has begun begun his ministry. Um, and so he wants to have followers, uh, and naturally there are. Here you have a man who, see, who sees Jesus and becomes interested about what Jesus is teaching, and so now wants to know, you know, according to Jesus's message, you know, what must he do to be saved? So it makes no sense for Jesus to rebuke the man and say, "Why do you I, ask yeah, me about what I he's doing?" I agree with you. It actually doesn't make sense if he were to be simply a prophet, I guess. But if he had some 
greater purpose as to why he was on Earth. Uh, it, it, his main, uh, his primary uh, uh, motivation wouldn't be to gather more followers, but it was to fulfill this purpose. But I guess, as you're right, that we there are there will probably be responses, and just because there is a response doesn't mean it's right. But I, I wanna I wanna dri- drive this into what method specific and consistent. Sorry, just not just to very just quick wrap, not to belabor the poem. Uh, uh, we're the only reason why we're discussing this is because it's in Matthew's gospel. But um, the, uh, but we're, we're really um, you know d- debating about something which probably. Jesus never said, and the only reason why we know that Jesus probably never said it is because we can compare Matthew's gospel with Mark. Um, Mark being the early account, we see Mark has the seems to have the original version of the story, which Matthew has modified. If we didn't have Mark's gospel, then we wouldn't have known that this story has been changed or modified. And the only reason why Mark's account is problematic is that if you believe that Jesus is God then it's an odd thing for Jesus to say, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. So, so Matthew, I'm not saying Matthew also believed that Jesus was God, but Matthew in, in, in revising the account had mm-hmm. just created a new problem mm-hmm. by trying to solve one problem by creating a new problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, my question was that um, if we could drive this conversation to knowing what specific and consistent methodology uh, you use in order to assess and analyze the Gospels for for what it truly means. Uh, maybe uh, uh, present maybe uh, what your hermeneutics is, or what is the way your way to understand the the meta uh, uh, under uh, a meta understanding of what the, the Gospel presents. I tend to look at the social historical context. So I look at the the place and time in which they were written, and to whom were, were they written, and what did the author intended his writer to, uh, you know, his his audience to understand. Um, and it's more easy to do that with the Gospels of Matthew and Luke because um, in Ma- in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, you can apply. Uh, you know, what is known as redactional criticism. So uh, when you compare, because basically um, now nowadays, like every New Testament scholar now believes that uh, virtually all New Testament scholars believe that Matthew and Luke used Mark's gospel as a source for writing their own gospel. So that means that when Matthew sat down and wrote his own gospel, he would have had a copy of Mark's gospel in front of him. And so he could just simply copy copy down what Mark wrote in front of him. But as he's going, he also has the chance to rework Mark as well as to, to change it, as well as to make omissions, additions uh, to Mark's t- text. Um, and so when Matthew does that, that tells us something about his motivations um, as to why uh, Matthew would do something like this. So in the two examples I gave of the woman, for example, are uh, being held by Jesus and the question that Jesus asked, why do you, um, who was it that touched me? Um, as well as uh, when Jesus says, why do you call me good? In these two uh, stories, uh, it, Jesus appears to be, uh, you know, very much human, uh, but also a prophet of God. And so maybe this didn't gel too well with Matthew. And so Matthew wanted to just kind of promote Jesus a bit more than a, a prophet by just removing anything that might show Jesus to be limited. Okay. Well, you said earlier that uh, you, you, you take a look at the social, cultural uh, situation or, or circumstance of of the how, where and why or how, what and who wrote this uh, gospel but it, it seems to me though that for example you take for some parts of the story as as evidence that look uh, Jesus is just a normal uh, human he's just a prophet but then uh, this part of the story has been twisted by the writer to to photoshop Jesus Christ but the thing is that in order for you to be able to identify which ones are reliable and which part of the story is is actually a uh, 
I would say, uh, ref- yeah, di- different or wrong or n- not exactly what the what happened. Revised. Yeah, re- yeah. revised. Yes. Um, is uh, how do you define which ones and what is your methodology on that as well? Uh, yeah, it's just more so like a detailed comparative study of the four gospels, um, and by you know contrasting them with one to another. Um, so, you know, just as Matthew and Luke had sources, Mark must have also had some written source before him. And today, um, you know, some scholars would advocate a kind of proto-Mark, uh, which is like an early passion account, which lacked any details about Jesus's resurrection, but only that Jesus was crucified and then placed inside some, um, airy, uh, tomb um, and then from there uh, his body was discovered uh, to be missing so so this would be like even earlier or some kind of proto early source of Mark's gospel which Mark the author takes over and then adds uh, the, the resurrection um, like the, the passion predictions um, as well as uh, in Mark chapter 16 verse 8 about the promise that Jesus would appear to Peter as well as to the disciples in Galilee. So it it requires like a lot of work. I mean, I'm not a a scholar myself, um, but um, I've read and listened to scholars. I'm actually... Uh, many years ago, I actually pursued uh, biblical studies at college as well. So I did a couple of modules on the New Testament as well as on Jesus and Paul. And the, I also did um, on the book of Ecclesiastes as well. Well, now that you mentioned Paul, uh, the, the epistles and uh, the re- revelations, are also Romans, uh, are, are in Acts, I think. Acts, yeah. Um, these are also uh, a huge, uh, uh, I think, part of how Jesus is seen as the the part, uh, uh, the, one of the persons of the Holy Trinity. So, in in a sense, I I've uh, talked about uh, I, I talked to a lot of my Muslim friends, and they say that they 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 see how Paul actually is is they do not recognize his authority. I guess in in his especially in how he writes or what he has written. And they would recognize Jesus' apostles and Jesus himself, but in terms of who, who Paul is, th- that's where they draw the line and say that uh, Paul is not someone we recognize as a prophet. What would you say? Um, yeah, I, I would say that this isn't like just a, a Muslim polemic against Christians, but uh, this polemic that Paul isn't an apostle or, of Jesus is actually found within the pages of the New Testament itself because Paul himself uh, indicates that there were other uh, preachers um, that didn't accept Paul as an apostle or undermined his apostolic authority. Um, And this comes out especially clear um, in his letter to the Galatians. If you read the first two chapters of Galatians and you study that with any, um, you you know, with a a biblical commentary, um, you see that Paul, unlike his other letters, um, he, he begins like with, you know, praises and peace and salutations uh, from, from God the Father. Um, and then he thanks God for, uh, you know, the, the Christian church that he's founded and for their uh, continuous faith. Um, but, uh, but Galatians, um, after Jesus, uh, sorry, after Paul, greets the Galatians, instead of thanking God, you know, for the the faith that the Galatians have, um, he instead goes into a criticism and he blasts them for, you know, turning away from the gospel that he had left them with to uh, another gospel, which he says isn't really a gospel. Um, And uh, lay people, when they read this, they they tend to assume that you know, these, this other gospel 
um, may have been some Jewish opponents, but if if you read it very carefully, um, these were actually uh, other Christians uh, who had a gospel, but a different understanding to what Paul preached. Uh, Paul would go into like a certain town and he would preach his understanding of Christianity. And then subsequently to him, some other teachers would come and teach these people the very opposite to what Paul taught them, turning them away uh, from the teachings of Paul to another gospel. And then Paul would then write back to them, uh, you know, criticizing them as to why they, you know, turned away from the gospel they had already left them with to uh, another gospel. And the manner in which Paul speaks about these other teachers, it appears that these were like very important, significant figures uh, because he refers to them as super apostles in his other letter in Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, I believe. And uh, um, so who, who were these super apostles? So uh, people tend to think that these super apostles would have been important figures or pillars of the church. Um, they would have been people like Peter, James, and John. And these were like the earliest, you know, companions or followers of Jesus. So these would have been people like what Muslims know from the Prophet Muhammad as people like, the, um, you know, the Caliph Abu Bakr or Umar or Usman or Ali. So during the lifetime or like, like of the, 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 what we call the Sahaba, um, if you wanted to learn about Islam, you know, what the Prophet Muhammad taught, then you would go to like his companions, especially his major companions or his close disciples. So I'm sure you've heard of um, Abu Bakr. Yeah. So J Jesus as well had disciples and followers, but among his followers, he had uh, inner disciples known as the Twelve. And even uh, among the 12, he seemed to have like three uh, major disciples, Peter, James, and John. So, so these were the people back, back during the lifetime of, you, you, uh, of Jesus um, and the disciples you would have gone to learn about Christianity. And Paul, in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 2, uh, I, think, I believe it's verse 11, uh, or it's around there, uh, disparagingly seems to refer to them as like those who are regarded or seen uh, with high esteem. Um, so so th th what this means is that he, he doesn't necessarily see them or regard them as being, um, you know, as, as pillars or important people, uh, but this is how other people regard or see them as. Uh, but he, he goes on to say what, what they are makes no difference to him because God shows no favoritism. Uh, but, but, but regardless, um, th th these were people who had actually spent time with Jesus and met Jesus whilst, while Jesus walked the earth. Um, and so Paul was a new man. Um, he, he, he obviously never met Jesus because no one makes that claim about him, nor, nor does he. Uh, but what Paul claims is that Jesus appeared to him um, and gave him a revelation. Um, and so Paul is defending his uh, apostolship or his ap apostle authority. Um, but, but by justifying it, by saying that the gospel that he received, um, he didn't receive it from those that were apostles before him, nor was he taught it by any man, but he received it as a, 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 by Jesus Christ as a revelation from God. So, 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 th th so th this polemic about Paul not being a, a bona fide or genuine apostle of Jesus uh, is found within the New Testament where Paul has to defend his apostolship. And why does he have to defend it if his apostolship was just simply accepted by everyone? So, and even Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that I, I, I know uh, that not everyone views me or sees me as an apostle. 
So even Paul was quite aware that, um, and by apostle, he doesn't just simply mean the, the, the non-Christians, but he actually means, uh, you know, Christians who also believe in Jesus, who, evident, who evidently also had a gospel in their hands, uh, but um, they, they, they question or undermine Paul's authority. In fact, Paul refers to them as false apostles or as false ministers, um, you know, who pretend to be ministers of Christ, but in fact, uh, you know, the, the devils or Satan. So these, these are very harsh words that Paul uses. And you can imagine um, these other ministers of Christ that Paul refers to as false. If we could question them or interview them on your podcast, and we were to ask them the same question, that do you think that Paul is an apostle of Jesus? And they will say, no, Paul is a false apostle. He's the one who's preaching a different gospel. And so we should not follow him. I guess then that one of the huge, huge reasons why Paul was not recognized by most of the Christian church, by some, I guess, is that um, he was formerly someone who was an accuser of, or or persecutor of Christians. And so this sort of life change was was very ultimately the the huge reason as to why people would question him but it's something that we, we could also uh, see we uh, christians would see as a, a miracle of christ working in his life i guess using someone like that but but um in terms of let's say how you uh you view the the reliability of paul's letters would you also an analyze it uh, uh, that some are unreliable and that Paul actually exaggerates a lot of things? Uh, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it wasn't just because Paul was a persecutor of Christians. And so, you know, some Christians would have been scared or frightened of him to accept uh, him into the circle. Uh, but it was because Paul was actually teaching something different, uh, something contrary to what these other uh, apostles were, were teaching before Paul. And so Paul has to justify his own teachings by saying that he received his gospel not from any man or from anyone before him, but he received it as a direct you know, revelation from Jesus Christ. Um, and also like in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 22, uh, verse 17 and forward, um, the voice that appears uh, to Paul, you know, identifies uh, you know, himself as being Jesus. But at the same time, this voice, when Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem and meet, you know, the, the Christians, uh, the voice tells him to get away from there and to instead go to the Gentiles and to stay away from Jerusalem. And so commonly this is understood to like how you explain that, um, you know, Christians were afraid of Paul because Paul was originally a persecutor. But couldn't the voice just had simply appeared to those other Christians or at least to the Jerusalem apostles and say that Paul is now a true follower of mine. So there's no reason to be scared of him. But instead, you have the voice telling Paul to depart. And if this was some kind of, um, you know, fake Jesus or someone pretending to be Jesus, then you would expect the voice then to say something like that to Paul uh, to, you know, escape because the voice didn't want to, himself to be exposed in front of the apostles to Paul. And also it does appear that Paul was in the minority, at least um, in a place in a church called Antioch, uh, because in Galatians chapter two, verses 11 and forward, uh, you read um, how Paul uh, opposed Peter to his face and accused him of acting hypocritical and contrary to the gospel. And so what was Peter's answer or response? Paul doesn't say so. He, um, he doesn't tell us. Uh, but what he does tell us what happens next is quite telling. Um, he, he says that Barnabas, um, you know, was led astray by Peter's hypocrisy. And so to uh, the church at Antioch, they were all led astray by Peter's hypocrisy. But, but this doesn't make sense because if Paul was right and he won the argument, then why would Barnabas side with uh, Peter instead of Paul? And why would the church as a whole side with 
uh, Peter and not with Paul if Paul was in fact right. But instead, uh, what you find is that Paul actually goes into a defense of his own position um, and giving us his side of the story. But in terms of the authorship of Paul's letters, um, there's seven letters that are regarded as being you know, uh, original or authentically attributed to Paul. And then there's some other letters which um, are, are doubtful. So one of these letters will be like the second letter to the Thessalonians, um, where actually uh, whoever wrote second Thessalonians seems to be quite aware that there are fraudulence being done in Paul's name. So like in um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, um, you know, it gives the warning to its reader to be aware that if anyone, um, you know, teaches that the Lord of, sorry, that the day of the Lord is here, um, then that is not a teaching from us. But the, the, the irony is that First Thessalonians does I strongly indicate that the day of the Lord is here. Um, so, for example, um, in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse four, um, it indicates that the day of the Lord will be something like a thief coming in at the night, and uh, um, it will take people by surprise. Whereas Second Thessalonians uh, says that the day of the Lord will not occur until these recognizable events happen, such as the appearance of the Antichrist. Um, whereas the first letter is saying that it will be something that will be unexpected or be surprised. Whereas uh, the second letter is saying that it will not happen until these things happen. So applying that the day of the Lord isn't here because these things haven't yet occurred such as the uh, the appearance of the antichrist and so um m m most scholars think that um or, or not necessarily most scholars but at least m many scholars w wouldn't think that paul wrote second thessalonians if anything um some scholars think that uh second thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 5 is indirectly um saying that first thessalonians isn't a true letter of paul or is like deriding First Thessalonians, whereas in fact, you know, many scholars will be prepared to say that it's Second Thessalonians, the one that is fraudulent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in in this case, then I hope um, that makes sense. I hope yeah, it's not it too technical. Yeah, or, I actually yeah. really understand. Like First uh, Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians have have huge uh, contradiction in terms of the theme, right, and what they're presenting. Yeah, and I, I want to ask you, you a question because, um, in a way, then if if this is all true, if what you what you're saying is that the uh what you're presenting, the problems you're presenting are all viable and valid, you know, in in what way do you see, uh, for example, Christian theologians or preachers or pastors looking at the Bible and seeing a different thing, different understanding of it? Would what? How would you what? How would you criticize their own methodology on it? What would what would be the problem in your opinion? Yeah, this is a this is like a real problem um today, uh because um you, you know like many of the points that I've presented to you, uh these are these are like not new points, but these are points that have been known for like maybe almost a hundred years or something. Uh, but the, the, the point is that these, this, this type of information generally is not shared in the pews or is not shared in the chair, but they, they, it tends to remain within academic circles. Uh, so scholars discuss amongst themselves as well as students, um, and it's not being transmitted or passed down onto others. And so people generally are, are being left in the dark um, as to like what is going on. But if you were to pick up like a standard introduction to the New Testament, um, many of these points you would find, um, you know, being mentioned um, in these introductions, uh, especially the point about Mark being the first of the four and Matthew and Luke, you know, copying or borrowing from Mark's gospel to write their own, as well as John being the last of the four. So, so this is kind of like a standard point 
Uh, I mean, also New Testament scholars as well, they debate amongst themselves about many things, but this is like one of the few things in which they don't, you know, debate nowadays, which is um, the mark on priority. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping that uh, maybe like through you and, and others, uh, you know, now more and more people will become aware and it will spark their interest in order to, you know, study and to research more. And also I'm, I'm, I'm open, like I'm accessible. If people want to reach me, um, just type my name into Facebook. You can find me normally message, Facebook messenger is the best way to get in touch with me, but I, I'm in most social platforms like Skype and Twitter. Okay. Awesome. And, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's almost an hour now and it's been great talking to you. Uh, wow <laughs> and, uh, no, it's last... been amazing yeah thank and, you uh, one last question to end this all and um you know you seem to be a, a genuine guy and you uh you you see you you know that you have the truth in islam and the quran and the prophet muhammad and and uh um and you want to uh, present the uh, to other people you know especially the christian community who seem to be uh, in a way, not even aware of these problems, you know. At least, if you if you are genuine you're, with your faith and you know that uh, you believe in Jesus Christ, then you would know also these parts of of your beliefs, you know, that that could be shaky in a way and shaky in the foundations. And so, um, what would you tell to a Christian who, or someone, maybe an atheist or someone who would be listening right now and checking out and discovering the the truth for their for themselves? Uh, yeah, I, I would say keep an open mind, you know, continue to study and research and, um, do, um, do, do, you know, keep, keep good, good company and, um, yeah, and sincerely like, you know, ask God, the creator, you know, you know for, for guidance and for help and just try to be, you know, the best human being that, that, that you can and try to make a difference like in the world, like, like how you are doing as well. And we don't need to change the world all in one, in one night, yeah. but we can start with small things and start with those people that are closest to us. Well, um, Nazam, thank you so much for your time, uh, brother. Uh, I oh, no, thank you. The pleasure was mine. <laughs> okay. So, um... so that's the end of it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This is your host, Elmo Ador Jr. And thank you for listening in. And please subscribe. Please follow us on Facebook. Please, please follow this. Please. Thanks. Thank you.